Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Hey everybody! Um, start, first off, sorry, there's uh, some noise outside while I'm recording this. I'm not in the quietest place, but don't worry. The episode itself um, is up to the usual standards. Um, oh, speaking of, by the way, we we've been making more and more tweaks and improvements um, with uh, the sound. Ramin Nazer um, again, RaminNazer.com. Check out all this stuff. He's amazing. Um, has been making changes. We've we've had listeners writing in um, who who know a thing or two about audio and and making suggestions and and we uh, continue to improve. I'm sure if you're a regular listener, you've already noticed a difference over say the last six months or so, and and uh, that's going to keep on uh, getting better. Um, and today's episode is. So good. It is one of my favorite ones. Is it was fun, funny, um, really mind blowing stuff. And every one of you is going to go to applymagicsauce.com and you're gonna and you're gonna give yourself a little test. Um it's it's uh just such a such a cool, awesome um program. And really, really terrific conversation. So before, uh, just very quickly before that, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the, I always mention, have the guest mention charities each week. Um, I'm trying to tweak that a little bit. I sometimes is screwing up the flow of the conversation. And so I've started recording some of them after the fact, um, which I think just makes more sense. And, um, but because I've been doing it that way, I, I sometimes forget to do it. And so I've been, um, emailing a couple guests. So I might be, um, doing a little spiel based on the guest suggestions, but, um, but I, uh, this week, so I'm, I'm sure you guys, uh, if you, if you've seen the news, you've seen all the horrific floods, in Louisiana, and um, I've spent a fair amount of time in Louisiana, and I don't, I don't mean this as um, to be insulting to Louisiana in any way. But there, there's a lot of people around there that are um, 
I mean, I don't think this is a secret. There's a lot of people around there that, um, in poverty and uh, and and not doing well and and kind of barely holding on as it is, and and then to have your house destroyed by a flood is is just uh, I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, you know, we've all gone through a lot in our life, but that that is to have that many people all at the same time in the same city going through such a life crisis. I mean. It's going to lead to a lot of uh, just desperation, and and it's going to take the city a while to bounce back. And and unfortunately, with climate change, these problems are going to keep on happening. And this is something that we can all do, and we can all pitch in and help. These are um, everyone's an innocent victim in a in a natural disaster. This is this is something that everyone should be able to get behind. Um, I'm going to put the Red Cross on on the site, uh, on herewearepodcast.com site. That will be the official uh, charity. But um, look into your own. There's a, a Baton Rouge Area Foundation, United Way of South Louisiana for North Shore, um, Foundation for Louisiana, um, and uh, there, there's a bunch of them. So uh, pick your own, whatever you're comfortable uh, comfortable with i'm sure any little bit helps sending clothing uh, old clothing that you don't use anymore uh, that you don't wear anymore anything like that um is is gonna help us a, a small donation um you know it, it's just it, it's really hard to think about trauma uh, and natural disasters and um and it's sometimes easy just to be like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't care. It's too big of a problem. Um, and I do this, uh, as much or more than anybody else. Um, but the, it, it, a little bit doing just a little bit to help right now will make such a difference in the future. If, if, uh, if there's more people in desperate situations, there's just going to be a lot more desperation. There's going to be a lot more crime, a lot more poverty. This affects everybody. It's something a lot of people don't seem to realize is that poverty affects everybody, even the wealthy. If you're super rich, you live in a gated community, poverty affects you as well. That's why you need gates on your community. You wouldn't need them if poverty wasn't a problem, if it wasn't an issue. So please uh, just consider, even if you even if you don't have anything to give, we're all, we're all in a tough spot. I know I am. Even just maybe putting a link on Facebook or, or something like that, sharing things on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever it might be. Any little bit is at least something. And then and you can say that you've done something um, good today. We all want to feel good. Um, maybe a good way to feel good is by doing good. Seems like it makes sense. It's probably a bit more complicated than that. But uh, the point is... Uh, all of us are going to have some life crisis and we're uh, most of us are anyway. And, and if, if we build a a world where we look out for one another, then people are going to look out for us when, when we go through it, when our family goes through it, I have, I have um, some extended family in new Orleans. I have friends in, in new Orleans uh, and I'm sure most listeners do. So, 
Um, you know, I didn't want to give too long of a, a, a big long-winded spiel, which I, I already have, but I do think it's important. And, and I just, I, I really believe that I've had a lot of opportunities to monetize this podcast. And then I really believe that paying, uh, encouraging people to pay it forward, um, will create a better world. I, you know what I want more than money is I want a better world to live in because sometimes this world drives me crazy. And a lot of that has to do with how we treat one another. So, um, uh, just going forward, we might be changing the way that, um, we, we do these charities, but we're going to keep on. Uh, this is a nonprofit podcast that I put my own money into. Um, and so pay it forward guys. Think it, you can, and, and maybe, maybe you don't, uh, have any interest in, in helping new Orleans. Maybe there's something else that you're more interested in. I don't care what you do. I'm just trying to encourage you, um, to think about it. Maybe you've never donated charity to charity before. Maybe try it one time. Um, it's, it's not going to hurt you. And maybe, maybe you'll end up feeling good about yourself. Um, that's all. Um, you, you guys are in for such a treat. This is, I know we had a couple shorter episodes lately, this episode, um, I'll, I'll probably be going back and talking, um, uh, and doing a follow up, um, with me all again. I think that, uh, we could probably could have talked for three hours pretty easily as you'll hear fascinating, wonderful conversation. So enjoy. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm at the um, the Club Med of, of, of campuses. I'm at Stanford right now, which I've never been to before, and it is amazing. And uh, I'm talking with Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior and, and um, Stanford Graduate, at, at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, Michal Kozinski is joining me. How are you doing, Michal? Hi, Shane. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me here. Yeah. Thanks for joining me and, uh, and taking me around campus, which is uh, really amazing. There's just like food outside everywhere and, and stuff. It's uh, incredible. Yeah, we do have some food in California <laughs> yeah. and some water still. <laughs> and a little bit of water. Um, yeah. And, and the campus is a nice sunny day and beautiful just a beautiful um, campus, really incredible. Uh, how long have you been here? I've been here for two years. Where? I intended to come here for one year, but then I I just couldn't leave the weather behind. Yeah, from from where? Where's uh, what's what's the accent the listeners are hearing right now? I the, the, my fancy, sophisticated accent comes from <laughs> Poland. This is how we talk in Poland. <laughs> and then I lived in England for uh, for quite a few years. I did my PhD there. Mm. But you don't really meet any English people in England where you're when you're studying. Mm. All the grad students were Chinese, German, Indian, American. So I never got to learn a proper English accent. <laughs> what did you get your PhD in? Uh, my PhD is in psychometrics. 
What is psychometrics? This is something that we haven't uh, we haven't talked about on the podcast um, before. So, and, and something that is really fascinating. Can you explain? So, psychometrics is a part of psychological science that is aimed at accurately measuring psychological traits, traits like personality, intelligence, or you know your knowledge of geography. You cannot directly observe someone's knowledge of geography. It's a, it's a psychological trait. We call it a latent trait because you cannot observe it directly. And psychometrics is a science that helps us to measure those dimensions as accurately as possible. Hmm. Um, I, I can usually tell just by looking at people how, how well they know geography. <laughs> I just have, that's one of my many skills. Uh, Your I magic have. powers. It's, yeah, it's like a superpower that I, <laughs> that I have. Um, I, so, so you have, um, uh, among... You're being sexist, Shane, by the way. <laughs> you, uh, so among many projects that you have, you have a, a, um, a, a program or a, a company or a website a, a website called uh, what is it a, apply magic sauce apply magic sauce yeah com. that's a yes. fun name it's a it's a demo for one of our research projects so mm-hmm. early on as a psychometrician i realized that how we are measuring those latent traits today which is mostly through tests and questionnaires is not really the best way of doing that Right, a question or a test is just a very small sample of your behavior. I'm inviting you to the lab or inviting you online to a website and say, hey, you know, Shane, why don't you take this little te- questionnaire or test here? And there are many problems with that. So first of all, you know, you may want to misrepresent yourself. Imagine a situation in which you're applying for a job or you're on a dating website and the website asks you, hey, you know, why don't you answer those few questions so we can measure your personality? And now the question might be, you know, are you well-organized and always on time? Right. You know, obviously, if you want to be an accountant or if you want to you know, um, appear as a nice person to, to ladies, you would say, of course, you know, I'm well-organized and always on time and whatnot, which you know, some people are, some people are not. And actually, both are fine, but society kind of pushes us to answer in a specific way. Now, so my thinking was that we don't really need to get those little samples of behavior using questions or tests. Yeah, and and I, just to briefly interrupt for a second, I, I took one of these questionnaires earlier. It was, uh, um, I did the first Live Here We Are podcast, and, and I filled out one of the big five personality indicators. And I, I did, uh, there was definitely, and it did a nice job, I felt, of, of kind of um, defining my, uh, my personality fairly well. But some of the questions of... Uh, where even just, e- even if I weren't, say, lying to impress someone, I might be lying to myself. And also, some of the questions were just confusing. Like, it would be like, would you describe your, would you say that you are often lonely or depressed? And it's like, well, I'm never lonely and I'm often depressed. <laughs> so it's like, like, how are those two things in one question, you know? And, and uh, so it, it did seem, a bit flawed for as good of a job as I actually was able to do. It did seem flawed, but uh, but go on. And I assume you were not applying for a job. Yeah, exactly. Were you applying for a job? Instead of thinking, you know, how to answer those questions honestly, you would be thinking how to answer these questions in such a way as to, you know, make my prospect employer, you know, absolutely want to employ me. 
uh, which you know not everyone would do, but some people do, and it gives extra, uh, you know, it ex- gives extra benefit to people who are willing to bend the truth right. to get a job, which is. No, I've never stolen a pen from from work. Exactly, which actually is one of the lying scale questions. If you answer you never done it, then the test will tell the employer that you're a lying person. Because <laughs> <laughs> really? those, those questions are actually designed to find people who are completely, you know, bending the truth. That's so interesting. What really? So the, the assumption is that that's uh, good like, to know. You always like every single person sometimes yeah, lies yeah. or. You know, every single person has stolen something in their life. Might be, you know, maybe, you know, just uh, uh, you didn't report your taxes properly or maybe you kind of forgot to give back some $10 because it was just convenient not to remember that you, well, I never done it, obviously. No, no. But, you know, some people. Yeah, uh, some monsters out uh, there. Exactly do it. And so those questions are designed to, like, figure out who's lying. Mm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I just thought the test was so stupid. Turns out I was the dumb one. I, I was falling for it. But there's many other problems with the test. So to give right. you another test, we call it a reference group effect, which means if you are a software engineer, most of the software engineers are introverted people who kind of like, you know, sitting in front of the computer. They don't really like partying with other people as much as, you know, extroverts as your typical cheerleader uh, would do. And now what happens is that because software engineers, so introverted people, are usually surrounded by other introverted people, if then, you know, one of these software engineers is slightly less introverted, he may think that he's actually, you know, a big extrovert, you know, because oh, compared yeah. with his friends, he's actually, you know, partying like there's no tomorrow. Right. But actually compared with an average person in the society he still might be very introverted. Right. Like I, I might be considered a little bit on the conservative side uh, compared to like a, a bunch of like my hippie friends in Portland. Exactly. Uh, you know, even though I, even though I clearly, I probably have uh, leaned fairly far to the left um, overall in comparison to the rest of the country. And obviously the exact same. And if you're, if you're in the South and, and say, uh, just are okay with gay marriage or something like that. People anarchist, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People might think that you're you're some dirty hippie or something, even though if every other in every other regard you're a conservative. Um, oh, that's a, yeah. I've, I've never uh, I've never thought about that. And then obviously, and so one of the solutions to this problem is instead of asking people what you know what they do, so having them to self-report on their behaviors and thoughts and preferences, uh, it's way better to basically just go and record their actual behaviors. And there are a few ways that uh, you can achieve that with. So one way would be to basically just, you know, stalk a person for quite some time and, you know, write down... The fun way. Uh, the fun way, totally, <laughs> totally fun. But the problem here is that, first of all, it's expensive and... Binoculars creepy. are spendy. And uh, exactly. And uh, night vision goggles and... And also the problem is that most likely a person that is being stalked would realize they're being stalked and then they would adjust their behavior, right? You can, you know, plea with them as much as you want to behave in a natural way. If they know that now they're in a special situation where everything they do is recorded, mm-hmm. they definitely will change. And a good example of a scenario like that is an interview. You know, interviews are just trying to get a sample of someone's behavior. We kind of invite them an office and say hey why don't we just now interview you but 
it's easy to put an act for half an hour or an hour. The same about simulations. Very often when you hire people, you put them in a room and say, hey, imagine we want to like, I don't know, sell this product. Why don't you come up with a way of selling it? And the team behavior, the team interactions and the ideas that people produce in this scenario are not perfectly indicative of what they do in the real life because everyone realizes it's just a game and it's special. And even if you try to make it look stressful, it's nowhere as nowhere as stressful as you know, it could be stressful in the real life. Like there are no interpersonal conflicts and, and all of those dynamics that you would have in the real workplace are not there. Right. But now what struck me as uh, kind of a completely underutilized resource is that now people are diligently recording everything they do all the time using Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We carry around our smartphones and we're taking pictures of ourselves doing things and we record what we're eating, record, you know, our physical activities. First thing you do when you wake up, you know, you grab your phone and check in on Facebook and, you know, respond to things and like things. So uh, we use credit cards, which record what we are buying and when we are buying and how much of it we're buying. Right. And so all of it's, this information is out there available. It is funny because people, I mean, if you ask just about anyone, they'll they'll say that privacy is this important thing to them and whatnot. And then you go on their Facebook or anything and it's like <laughs> anything, but like everyone's so desperate for attention, myself included, uh, you know, people are taking pictures of their every meal and every little thought that comes into their head, they're recording and putting down and telling as many people as they can yet, yet, uh, kind of consciously, if you ask them, Oh, privacy is very important. And I, I need my privacy. Mm -hmm. And then people freak out about things that I don't really believe are so, uh, you know, so problematic. Like people freak out about Facebook. Oh my God, Facebook is reading what I'm writing there and has access to all of my pictures and whatnot. And I would say, yeah, but you also have a very good control over what you upload to Facebook and what you don't. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, people don't freak out about the fact that the internet service provider, the government and bunch of marketing companies are observing each of the websites you're going to, right? And, you know, there are plenty of intimate things that happen in your life that you will never put on Facebook, yet you will go and Google them, you know, think about illnesses or problems with your spouse or... Uh, you know, thoughts that you would not share on Facebook, you probably would leave digital footprint kind of revealing about what's going on by, you know, navigating to a certain website or like, you know, searching online. Yeah, you're into furries or yeah. whatever. Exactly. Or, or ex ex exactly. Uh, and then another example is credit cards. Credit card companies do not define themselves anymore as financial companies as the primary kind of uh, uh, source uh, source of income or uh, or kind of goal, they define themselves as consumer insights companies. So they really, kind of, they try to uh, encourage you to use credit card as much as possible because it allows them to track what you're buying, where you're buying, how much you're spending. And now there are plenty mm. of companies who immediately buy this data. So let's say Facebook, for instance, is instantaneously buying your credit card purchases, buying information about your credit card purchases. Life. So you buy something, the moment you paid for it, Facebook will get information about, you know, our user number, whatnot, uh, just bought a bottle of wine on uh, her way to Tahoe. Mm. And now Facebook can use it to better target you with uh, adverts or uh, content to kind of keep you 
longer the platform. Are credit cards making more money off of that than they well, can't be? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that, but they definitely define it as a primary source of their new business at the moment. Wow. Consumer insights. Huh. Oh, that's, see, that's, that's where it's a little scary. And, and, and uh, I, I mean, on behalf of, of the people that are worried about their privacy and whatnot, to, to be fair, I mean, you're, you're clearly a little toward the pro-stalking side <laughs> you're you're a little you're a little bit biased you're you stalk people for a living basically right with the consent so <laughs> it's really it's not really the same kind of stalking <laughs> as you know industry does so in academia right i have to and i'm super happy to ask for consent and i'm also making a point of not looking at data that uh might be too intimate so mm. even if my participants would be willing to donate let's say the private messages uh, to me so i can study them I probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Hmm. So most of my data, most of the data I collect comes from Facebook. And it's because Facebook is not an environment where people will share overly intimate details, right? Hmm. So, you know, you wouldn't, you know, share your specific sexual preferences on Facebook or details about, you know, illnesses that you had or how much taxes you have paid. So there's there's certain boundaries of privacy that are not broken on Facebook and it, may, it makes me more comfortable studying this data, and I always do it with participants' consent. I, um, yeah, I, I often um, kind of wondered as far as credit cards. I, you know, some I go to, uh, I travel all the time, and a lot of times I'll get an alert and be like, "Hey, did you spend this in the, this much money at whatever gas station or whatever?" And I have to send one back or whatever for fraud protection i wish that credit cards would take some of this data to like give me other warnings you know if you you like hey shane you went to mcdonald's five days in a row like is everything going okay (laughs) in your life you haven't you haven't spent any credit card uh fees on the gym or anything you might want to start I, I, i wish that my I wish that my credit cards would start giving me financial and and life advice. I'm but. sure it's will so, it soon will. You think so? I'm quite sure because uh, first of all, it's one of the amazing applications where you could harness the power of the data for your own benefit. Right? Yeah. So obviously, there are creepy ways in which you can use the data. Yeah. Like let's say people like stalking you online and like predicting things about you that you don't wish them to predict. But there are also amazing ways of using your data. And one of the best examples, something that I often use and quite love, is, you know, Netflix. I I would love Netflix to know as much about me and and my movie taste as possible because in return I'm getting, you know, amazing movie Mm -hmm. recommendations. Amazon. There's so many books I discovered on Amazon that none of my friends would be able to recommend them to me because they didn't know. But Amazon, because it has access to so much data about so many millions of people reading was able to say, hey, Mihao, looking at your reading history, you would love this book. And I love this book. Think Facebook with the newsfeed. Newsfeed is really just a big recommendation mechanism that recommends the stories that you would like the most to you. And, yeah. you know, I love it. You know, I spend maybe not too much, but maybe five, maybe ten minutes a day on Facebook. And I, you know, quite enjoy reading about what my friends are up to. Yeah, I, I mean, I use Facebook um, as for the first time in my life since I, so I, I have a regular club act that I do. And then I have a separate kind of one man show that I do about psychedelics, um, which is what I did last night. But, um, but I've, it's been really successful. And one of the reasons why it's been successful is because I'm able to find 
on Facebook, I'm able to target people by interest. So if people are into different like psychedelic advocacy groups or, or whatever it might be, or psilocybin or LSD or whatever it might be, I can target people that are kind of fans of those pages and, and also people that are fans of like big podcasts that I've been on um, that have maybe heard of me, but just don't, don't follow me or whatever. And I can, I can run an ad that will, for those people, it will go to the top of their feeds. And so, so people that are interested in this one particular thing will, will see, and it's very successful for me. And it's kind of a win. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are annoyed by an ad that aren't interested and wish that weren't in their feed. But a lot of people had no idea who I was and were just interested in the subject matter and come out to shows um, because of that. So for for me and a lot of people, it's a, it's a win-win in that regard. Of course, obviously, everyone hates spam and, and too many ads and whatnot can be annoying, but, um, but, it, but it can absolutely go the other way and be beneficial as well. And I think that speaking about ads, uh, I don't think that we'll have ads for much longer. So first of all, in the digital environment, you can very qu- we can very easily write software that like cuts ads away from your website or whatever other app you're using. And in fact, software like that exists. It's called Adblock or Adblock Plus. There's the yeah. class, there's a bunch of co- companies like that. And obviously, there's a bit of an arms race where like Facebook would like change the algorithm that shows ads to like fool the program, but the program will like catch up after 24 hours and the ads are cut away again. But Ad I think Blocker that, Plus is a really great program. Using it myself, yeah. It's fantastic and it's free. It's free and it's open source, but... The thing is that I think that companies will figure out that throwing ads at people that people don't want to see, it's just a total waste of money. Mm-hmm. But very often you have people like people coming to Amazon, they go to Amazon because they want to buy stuff. So now they actually expect and appreciate a product recommendation. And the more accurate the recommendation could be and how to make this recommendation accurate by observing their past behavior yeah. and figuring uh, what they may want. Think about another example, insurance company. Uh, when insurance company sells you insurance, now what they're doing, they kind of uh, spreading the risk of something happening to you across all of the people that bought an insurance. But I think that because now insurance companies can learn more and more about individuals they are selling insurance to, this model will change into risk management. So you'll pay your insurance rate to insurance company and they will want to make sure that every, that you basically are fine, that nothing happens to you because they don't have to pay back. So instead of, instead of, instead of paying money to, uh, to get some help when something bad happens to you, you will pay money so bad things don't happen to you. And now then insurance could use your credit, cards, uh, credit card history to send you a message, look, we insured your life and insured your health, but you keeping eating very unhealthy. So if you continue doing yeah. it, we'll increase your rate. And now people, if their pockets will hurt each time they they each mag- eat mag- yeah, McDonald's. Yeah, spend, you spend money at the bars or whatever all, all the time and eventually your car insurance and medical insurance might, might go, go up. Which sounds, huh. you know, it sounds, oh my God, how those evil companies can do it. But on the other hand, you could argue, why should customers who live healthy and safe lives pay, you know, for people who drive while drunk and whatnot, right? right. And so, but now we kind of have a very s- a slow and inefficient way of discovering that. So if you get a ticket for, you know, 
uh, DUI, your insurance will go up. So you're being punished for irresponsible behavior. But now with all the digital products and devices, your, your responsibility can be tracked, you know, live all the time. Mm. So if your phone reports to your insurance that you're speeding, they may basically uh, threaten you with increase of your rate. Now, you can dislike it, but it... Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> but I noticed, I, I thought this was a wonderful feature. Waze just started using, uh, which by the way, guys, if you don't use Waze, get on it. The more people that use it, the more effective it is. Um, but, um, but Waze, uh, added to their navigation, they, they now have the speed limit in every given area. And will alert you when you're, and you can set parameters, but it will alert you um, when you are speeding, which I thought was the handiest feature until just now. And now you have me nervous. So I have a bit of a lead foot. Hopefully by the time, I mean, this is probably right around the corner, a lot of this stuff, huh? Because I'm, I was about to say, I'm hoping that they'll have self-driving cars before my car insurance company um, starts monitoring my speeding levels. But I, I imagine they're going to be probably taking, insurance companies are probably going to be taking these steps pretty soon, don't you think? They already do it. Mm-hmm. So many insurance companies would offer you little, it will offer you special conditions on insurance. You would pay a lower, uh, lower rates if you agree to put a little box in your car that monitors your driving. Mm. And this box would like beep at you and it would like notify the insurer if you like break the law too often. So this is already happening. Uh, and I think that in a way, uh, you know, we can be grumpy about it, but there's little we can do about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a huge, like, I, I'm not obsessive about privacy. I do wonder what people's response will be. And it does seem like it will lead to some philosophical kind of dilemmas where whereas an insurance company could could um eventually do a genetic test and determine uh, what what your um susceptible what diseases you are susceptible for and 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 refuse to give you an insurance and, and refuse insurance and couldn't i mean i i don't see at a certain level behavior is not that much I mean, you could say that some behavior is somewhat predetermined. People are predisposed to to drive kinds of fast, behavior. to drink, to be yeah, yeah. well organized or not. Totally, I, I do think that you know, and so it, it, oh. it, it at a certain point, when is it discrimination? And 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 well, I mean, it's all discrimination. But what levels of discrimination are we? going to find acceptable and and the big question is whether we should have private companies being responsible for not being for being basically fair so the problem is that it's already not fair if you're disabled and you're blind and you say i want to be a bus driver (laughs) you're not getting this job it's unfair right yeah but now i'm i'm actually starting a advocacy group for um for for blind people to allow them to be uh, bus drivers, because I think it's only fair that if they, if they want to be bus drivers, they should be able to. So that's just, it's one of my big things in life that I'm trying to make happen. But I might be one of the first members <laughs> in your society. Well, I, I think that 
the role of private companies. You cannot go and expect, hey, employers, now you know, be fair and hire people at the positions that you may not w- want them to, right. to, to basically hire people. Because at the end of the day, what you will get, you will get that employers will like do it half-heartedly or like try to you know, make it look like they're doing something, but they're still unfair behind the scenes. So I think that way better way to enforce and ascertain fairness is to do it on the policy level. And we're doing it great, let's say, with some pretty obvious, not pretty obvious, with kind of things that we understand better, like disability. We understand that if you're blind, in many cases, it's not reversible and you will never be able to drive a bus, Mm -hmm. which is why the society will put extra resources on helping you to basically make your life quality as high as possible. And I think it's great and it's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Now, the same relates to the genes. If you have genes that make you more susceptible to have cancer or die early, or maybe you have genes that make uh, basically you less successful in the workplace, Mm -hmm. or maybe if you have certain psychological traits that might be gene-related or maybe they're related to your background or anything else that may, may, may make life more difficult for you, we should recognize it and try to give extra care, extra education, extra time and resources to to people that basically uh, uh, were, uh, uh, are not starting from the same level as everyone else. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if... Uh, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's certainly, you know, there, there's certain... The, it's such a gray area. So that's such a thing. It's so hard to define what is fair. Like you know, it, it, is is Hooters going to go out of business if they have to hire men? You know, uh, or and and then and so then if if um, if large if large chested women are making more as servers, then do we then do we supplement? Do we pay for breast implant? You know, there there's so many. I, I mean, there, there's no end to it, but obviously we do need to do something to balance and make life fairer <laughs> for a society. But it, it is, that's going to be, it's going to be very, very complicated. I quite um, like your idea of like, uh, that you, that you notice that big breasted women have it easier in life. Yeah. And you know, maybe there should be a tax involved to just make yeah, life yeah. I think easier this is, for all of this us. This is one of the easier. This is going to be one of the easiest laws to pass. <laughs> you you put you put this on the ballot, and everyone you your most libertarian, most conservative will be like, "Yes, I will pay tax money for for just larger <laughs> breasts in in general." Or you could just tax the breasts when you're buying bras. There could be a special tax on the size. Oh, if, if the your larger breasts they are, are the more tax the, you yeah, have to pay. Yeah, because then <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, how how are they uh, so uh, what what is being done right now in terms of policy um when it when it comes to uh this when it comes to buying credit card information when it uh, when it comes to these very things that we're talking about those are so obviously kind of jokes aside those are right. really complicated issues yeah. and issues that I don't know we have answers to so the society is at the brink of big uh, of quite some revolutionary changes are going to be happening related to the accessibility of data. And we kind of see some of these things happening a bit already. I'll give you, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say credit scores are kind of 
a big data approach that aggregates a lot of data about an individual and how credit scores are used not only to make decisions about giving you credit or not, but also their, well, credit, but also uh, your GSM phone uh, maybe not, you know, given to you. So you will not get a SIM card with AT&T if you're not, uh, if, if your credit is not great. Uh, but also now increasing number of employers are using credit scores to make decisions about hiring. Mm. And now, obviously, the intuitive response to it is like, it's outrageous. How could you use credit scores to like, in hiring, we should not do it. We should protect people from doing that. And it's a kind of intuitive and uh, emotional response that probably I also kind of have when I when I first learned that credit scores were used in employment decisions. I thought, hey, this is outrageous. This should stop. But then if you actually stop for a second and think about it, you realize that if you are a white male that graduated from, you know, Yale, mm-hmm. you're getting a job anyway. You, right. No one will check your credit score because it's irrelevant information, most likely, right? Right. But if you are a, a black woman from bad neighborhood that didn't get a benefit uh, of education uh, and was not as lucky as you to be born in the right place and right time and of the right color, right? Credit score based employment for her might be a cho- might be a difference between getting a job or not. Because if you say, hey, employers, you cannot use this piece of information, then employers are like, okay, I'm not going to hire this person from a minority because I cannot say it aloud, but I'm afraid that maybe, you know, I don't know, they will like misbehave or steal or whatnot. So I'm going to hire this kind of safe bet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire a white male with good education, right? But if you let them to use some additional form of information, if you let them, hey, you can now look into credit score of a person, then suddenly they, they can use it as a, as a device, as a, as a way of gaining trust to a person that they instinctively, because they're racist or bad people or mm. whatever. We cannot probably change that, but we can give them extra information to actually start trusting uh, people that they by default would not trust. And there's a lot of evidence in the States we're cred- using credit scores in hiring people uh, where this was banned. It just uh, basically impoverished minorities just got even worse because mm. the co- employers completely stopped hiring uh, these people because they lost the device to kind of build trust. Hmm. It's weird that you don't see any of this stuff on the news. And it seems like, a, uh, I mean, it just seems like, as a society, we'll have a lot to think about and a lot of work to do. Um, you know, you know, all you see in the news is the war. And it's like, we're, at some point, we're going to need to be like, hey, guys, let's just stop bombing for a second. We got to sort out. We got to sort out this breast situation, <laughs> this breast implant situation first. Yeah, um, but I, I mean, the, the point is, is, is just that you don't see any of this uh any like I've I've never I've never seen this discussed outside of right now this this podcast because it's a complicated issue like uh, there are pros and cons of using of using credit scoring in uh, in the context of employment mm-hmm. it's a difficult issue that's difficult to explain to people it's way easier you know to uh, uh, to say Obama Obama Trump Trump or Clinton yeah. Clinton it's just uh, people are squirrels. not. People not willing to go deep into the subjects. And those subjects are also very often upsetting, right? Like it's better just to upsetting news. You know, don't 
sell so well, especially when there are like no easy answers like building a wall or banning something or uh, or not banning something. Those mm. are very difficult issues. Mm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, Apply Magic Sauce um, specifically. So what does it do? So one very interesting thing uh, about big data is that apart from many things you can predict from big data in a kind of a direct way. So if, let's say, you know, you spend a lot of money uh, on flowers, I know you buy a lot of flowers. If you use your credit card to buy yourself a new car or a new set of clothes, I would know what car you're driving and what clothes you're wearing. So there's plenty of information there that is just, um, you don't need any science to kind of just infer from your digital footprint. But interestingly, what happens is that because we leave so much digital footprint behind, what you can do, you can take this information that's available on the surface and now extract a lot of secondary information from that. So, for example, if I can observe the music you're listening to or your Facebook likes or what you're talking on uh, about on Facebook, I can infer your psychological traits like personality, your intelligence, and even very intimate traits like your political views or sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, if you kind of openly state on Facebook or on Twitter, hey, I support Obama or Trump or whatnot, again, you do not need a prediction model to figure that out. I'm talking about situations in which, you know, you take Spotify playlist, you listen to Spotify whole month, you never listen to anything. And I'm not even sure if there is a song that is kind of obviously, you know, only Obama supporters listen to it. But basically because there are certain small biases among people who support different political fractions. If you listen to nothing but country music, you're probably conservative. Exactly. Right. And, but now we can go deeper and say not only that you're conservative, but, you know, what, uh, what's your religion? And we can probably distinguish between, you know, Protestants and Catholics and uh, Mormons and whatnot. Uh, well, not probably. Actually, I know my research shows that you can do that. You can... Uh, infer someone's sexual orientation with very high accuracy based on their playlists or likes uh, on Facebook or words used in uh, Facebook status updates. So basically what I'm saying here is that we can go beyond this obvious level. You know, he bought, you know, himself, uh, you know, a Chrysler. It means he's driving a Chrysler. We can just say, oh, he bought this car and this set of clothes. Uh, this suggests that he's extroverted, intelligent and gay mm. so let's go through mine because i just did it um and it was just a few clicks very very easily it, it easy to do apply magic sauce.com and um and you can see what um other companies are already going to know about you hey are you are you able to say you're an employer are you able to put in someone else's facebook thing in into this magic sauce and and um extrapolate the or, or does it have to be your own um facebook depending on whether you follow the law or not if you're a marketing company or government or internet service provider or you're a company that produced your phone or your uh, web browser and thousands of other companies they have access to everything you do online and they can uh, apply predictive predictive models to the data and infer your intimate traits. If you're an employer, hopefully you would ask 
a, a, a applicant for a permission to access their data. Mm. And while I think that there's plenty of scary aspects to, uh, especially when it comes to privacy and when it comes to using big data, there are also like huge advantages. You know, you can you can use those predictive models to predict personality of millions of people at a very low cost and a very high speed, which may encourage employers to give the benefit of psychological testing because psychological testing is not only beneficial for an employer, which allows them to match people with the right job, but it's also amazing for the applicants because it lets them to match the job with their particular mm. personality. And now it's especially important for people that are you know, applying for entry-level jobs, people who are not gifted or this is just their first job and uh, for them the difference between you know working uh, you know as a salesperson versus as a, a, a person somewhere in the warehouse or an engineer this might be a difference between you know a happy and uh, uh, life. rest of your life yeah exactly and you know just the job that you hate for the rest of your life because just this was the available job for you you took it no one bothered to do psychological testing no one bothered to get, to help you with a career counseling and career planning so you didn't even know that you know a perfect job for you is just something else and you're probably going to be unsuccessful at a job that you don't like because you're probably not going to put much uh as much effort into it which is only going to make your life that much harder than not, not only do you have a job that you don't like but you're also unsuccessful at the job that you don't like that's uh that's a great point um, so I, so I was actually surprised by how accurate ish I found this to be because I don't use Facebook like a lot of people. Um, I don't, I don't like it. I only use it to post my stuff. I don't look at any other pages ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even know how I've come to like the 31 things that I've liked. I looked through some of them. I'm like, I don't even like this thing like uh like one is gabriel iglesias who is a comedian that i'm not really a fan of or anything i don't really i don't have anything against him but i'm not i've never been a fan and, and then uh, you and like somehow, him in the past so i don't, I, I don't think that I, have. I think i think that i i think i accidentally did it and then there's people like um like say joel McHale, who i just used to open with i'm kind of friends with because we had the same agency for a while and it's not his stuff isn't necessarily like my cup of tea uh, exactly uh, we're just friends it, it's not like indicative of the things that i so so that i'm just illustrating that i i thought there was going to be far i thought this was going to be far further off than it was because of how um it, the the way in which that I like things is is just kind of random and bizarre, um, but the the first thing I, I don't know I must have put something in Facebook that's incorrect. It has my age wrong right from the get go. As I'm 36, it, it says age of 30, which I'll take it. I'll take the younger age, but I have no idea why it uh, why it did that. Um, I must have done something wrong in the settings that I need to change. But um, oh no, because the age is inferred from your likes, so we don't oh. get the age. So everything you see there, it's predicted from your likes, including your gender, 
in age ah, and all the other traits. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think most women would say I'm fairly immature. So, yeah. The, and also, the, you, the, as I you said, you stopped liking. Man. So maybe those likes represent you at the oh, age of 30 yeah. because you don't really like anything uh, anymore. You're a smart guy. Um, I, so my psychological gender is I'm 61% masculine. Uh, that's not terribly masculine. I, I would say that's, uh, that's pretty... Yeah, I, I'm not feminine, but I'm definitely not like a macho man by, by any means. I'd, I'd say that's fairly accurate. So the, the weird thing... So then it will say, like, these, these likes make you appear more feminine. One is Joel McHale. Take that, McHale. Um, PBS... And Obama, <laughs> liking Obama makes me, I do like Obama, I'm surprised that I put, that I actually liked his page, because I don't like, I think Obama's fine, I'm not like over the moon about him. Um, and then um, these likes make you appear more masculine. Again, these are three things that I don't really care that much about. One is Bill Maher, another is Gabriel Iglesias, and the other is The Onion. I'm surprised The Onion is masculine, but... Yeah, I guess. Um, so, but but even even though I don't really even understand how I liked these things in the first place, I thought it still did a pretty nice job <laughs> of figuring out that that you know I'd say sixty one percent masculine is uh, that's uh, it's that, you. That, that's my that's I'm getting a T shirt that says sixty one percent masculine. <laughs> Ladies, um, I'm seventy percent in openness, which. I'm higher than that in in when I've when I've taken like the personality indicator tests and I've been as honest as I possibly could in those I was like very very far on uh, about as open as you could be in every regard and I have the life to prove it so um so I would say it was it was accurate and it, in saying that you know I'm liberal and artistic but Definitely, I'm far more open than what it uh, what it was saying. People so, often get offended uh, by uh, because kind of openness to experience is kind of this political dimension that is kind of liberal and open minded versus conservative and traditional. Mm -hmm. And you know, whatever feedback you give to people, they're always fine with that. But imagine the situation, and it happened to me a few times that I had a conservative person, you know, looking at their feedback and the feedback was like, oh, you're liberal. And they'd be like, this is outrageous. I'm not liberal. I'm like the most conservative person I know. <laughs> yeah. like, well, you maybe. travel and you, <laughs> you, 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 you like documentaries. So sorry, you're a hippie. Um, yeah, that's it. I, I mean, I take no offense to any of these whatsoever. In fact, um, Conscientiousness. I'm I'm 39 toward the low side. Impulsive and, and I'm impulsive and spontaneous. I'm actually far far more uh, far lower in conscientiousness again on the surveys. So just just because of the ways that in which I've liked things. Oh, maybe um, you just believe that you're perfect. so extreme, and maybe you're not as extreme uh, in reality. I promise you, you can ask. Anyone that knows me, like I'm an exceptionally messy person, very disorganized and very I'm disagreeable. And I'm, 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 I am, I'm disagreeable. I'm, I'm very impulsive and spontaneous. It's got me in a lot of trouble in my life, um, for sure. I, I would say, I would, I would just say that some of these, it's just the way in which I like things that have made me um, 
So, so like these things make me appear conservative or traditional. Joel McHale and Gabriel Iglesias, who are like things that I I wouldn't normally um, like other than circumstances. Chelsea Handler, conservative and tra- traditional. That doesn't even seem right to me. She's kind of a liberal lady. Um, and then these, so these will make these make me seem more liberal. Um, NPR, that makes sense. PBS, Obama, um, and then this is funny with with uh, impulsive and spontaneous. Um, I, I like Christopher Walken. Well, who doesn't like Christopher Walken? And that makes me um, appear more impulsive and spontaneous because I like Christopher Walken. You know, I'm conscientious, so I don't even know whom he is. Oh, really? Um, I would I would do an impression if I was um, both a talented and hacky um, comedian, which I'm not. Um, you you know who he is. You would recognize him. Um, movie star, um, organized and hardworking. See Ariana Huffington. I have no idea why I like her page. Stephen Hawking. I definitely. I I'm a big fan of Stephen Hawking. But PBS. I don't ever watch PBS. I'm fine with it. Um. Uh. So then I'm. Uh. Yeah. I'm low. Low in agreeability. Um. So I will argue about your results a little bit. Thirty-seven percent. Um, and then it says I'm, I'm, I was happy. I was delighted. It says I'm 30%. I'm, I'm lower in neuroticism. See, a few months ago when I took the test, it said I was in the middle of neuroticism. And this says I'm laid back and relaxed, which I am a laid back and relaxed, uh, person. But I need, what I need to do is reevaluate all of my likes and then pick things. All of your life. Uh, all of my life, my my life likes, and and then I want it to spit out. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do an update um, of this uh, be, before I release this episode. I don't know. Yeah, you can maybe um, even have a like a you can have a screenshot to share it with people so they can see what your profile was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is uh, this is intelligence. I'm sixty two percent. Come on. Well done. Well, I think it's a little higher. How about 65% maybe? <laughs> Give me a little bump. I host a science podcast. <laughs> Darn it. Of course, I am always the dumbest person on the show. But um, life satisfaction, 42%. I agree with that. I'm like just uh, I've never been a happy person. I don't really care that much about happiness. I'm like I'm just kind of fine with being. Um, I, I just don't. I can kind of. I don't get worked up about life. Is comedian your most likely employment there? Um, oh, does it say most yeah. likely employment? Where where does it say that? At the bottom. At the bottom, if you go down, look, 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 look somewhere there, maybe up, up, up. Oh, this is your st- uh, relationship status. Oh, here, education. So education, most likely to be a psychologist. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, psychology for sure. Journalism is. Man, the, this you know what it should be doing is reading all of my proofreading errors on my Facebook posts, and it would know that I have no business in journalism, art, sure. I'm a stand-up, so that's pretty accurate. Um, biology's down there a ways, and I'm way into biology. And education's at the very bottom, and I'm educating people right now on my podcast. <laughs> See, um, it, but, it, you know... 
here, here's one that I like. This is funny. I'm uh, my sexual preference. Um, eight out of ten, eight out of a hundred men with your likes are gay. Um, Which actually would mean that a computer would classify you as a gay person. Really? Because the baseline in society is seven. So 7% of people yeah, in yeah. society are gay, which means that in your population, in population of people like you, <laughs> you already have gays overrepresented, 8%, which would mean that if a computer was to make a best guess, it would assume you were gay. Does it mean that I'm just 1% more gay than the average population? Then? The likelihood is very small. Like, because, But this is a very difficult prediction. It's one of those predictions where because mm. the baseline is so low, 7% of people in a population are gay, which basically means that the safest bet is you are straight. Yeah, yeah. And this is just a safe bet because 93% of cases you're actually right making this bet. Hmm. So right now in your case, your computer will be like, mm, I'm not sure at all. But like, I would probably already guess that you're gay. Oh, uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's another T-shirt for me. One percent more gay. Um, I'm I'm totally comfortable with that. Um, I here's one that is well, no, I mean it got me, but it, it was still so the the religious orientation. Um, I'm fifty six percent none, um, which should be. 120% none. Um, I'm not sure why it's saying 20% Christian and all of that. I guess um, these make you appear not religious. Christopher Walken, Joel McHale, <laughs> and Gabriel Iglesias. Uh, these make me appear religious. The Onion makes me which is are you familiar well, with the onion yeah, is it, it probably is the most because among your likes probably none of them is really religious right but this is right, the kind right. of the most religious that is there obama and npr that's those are definitely but not those that. are wide compared with christopher hitchens right uh no christopher walken oh Walken. yeah yeah I yeah walken is, but um yeah he's just an actor i don't i'm not sure so basically those are the kind of most religious or it doesn't mean that they make it religious they're kind of most religious of your likes see this is strange because it will say so it said joel McHale for not religious but then it also said um uh the these likes make you appear more christian and joel McHale is in that making me appear more christian but not uh, but you're not Christian at all, according to this prediction. So right, obviously, yeah. kind of, we're walking in a space where, like, all of those likes are on the atheist side. Right, right, right. But some of them are kind of slightly less on the atheist side. I see. I understand. Um, I, I mean, this is this is absolutely amazing. I was he, here's a question. So, so I don't. How do you pronounce this word? Jung, Jungian personality type. Jungian. Jungian. Um, so it says I'm introverted intuitive thinking perceiving so so here's here's something that i kind of almost took issue with is how complimentary it is so it says intps are quiet thoughtful analytical individuals who don't mind spending long periods of time on their own all of that i'd say is correct working through problems and formulating solutions so yeah that's my that's my jam and ntps tend to be less at ease in social situations and caring professions. Yep, I don't care. Um, also, they enjoy the company uh, of those who share their interests, who doesn't. They also tend to be impatient with bureaucracy, absolutely. Rigid hierarchies, of course, they're a lie. 
and uh, politics um, uh, prevalent in many professions, preferring to work informally with others as equals. Um, uh, extroverted intuition often gives them a quick wit. Oh, thank you. Uh, especially with language, and they can diffuse the tension in gatherings by comical observations. That's ridiculous. Just you? Uh, yeah, that is me, exactly. And references. They can be charming. <laughs> and uh, and even, even in their <laughs> quiet, quiet reserve. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm charming your pants off right now. And are sometimes surprised by the high esteem in which their friends and colleagues hold them. Um, so my issue with that is, is couldn't you... Doesn't every one of these sound like really positive, like a horoscope, or or do some of these be are are some of these like like say it were different factors? Would they say like, hey, you might want to go to a therapist or something like that? Are there like negative sounding ones? Well, obviously there are negative uh, sides to all personality dimensions. Right. It's just that first of all, you have to be cautious giving people negative feedback. Right. Uh, you probably don't want to do it in the kind of uncontrolled environment of a website. Right. Also, right. not to mention that you know, not uh, not everyone has many likes. Uh, any measurement tool, no measurement tool has one hundred percent accuracy. So, if you ever want to give someone negative feedback, you probably like make damn sure that you actually know exactly what the problem is. So, uh, obviously, you can you can give as much negative as you can give positive feedback for any psychological uh, dimension and any score, but it's just not something that's, uh, that you would do here. Interestingly, so people believe that all of those dimensions, they have like a positive, so they have a socially desirable uh, side. They'd say people like, people think that extroversion is better than introversion. They think that conscientiousness is better than lack of conscientiousness. They think that agreeableness is better than disagreeability. Right. They think that open-mindedness, actually in our society, uh, America is pretty progressive still compared with other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so open-mindedness is valued slightly more than uh, than conservatism. It seems, especially you know, among young people and people who use. Uh, but but media. but low and openness is is what kept our ancestors alive for a very exactly. Long time. So both. So first of all, it's not so great to be at extreme mm-hmm. because if you're like ex- if you're extremely well organized. You know, it's not you, but like if you have a person that's extremely well organized, they kind of lose the ability to actually function normally, you know, because they come to work and they have to spend like hours like cleaning the desk and arranging the pens so they're like all parallel. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like basically you're, you know, obsessive compulsive. Yeah, and I'm very high in openness. I've like gotten myself in a fair amount of trouble with the the law in my life. Exactly. I've broken my feet jumping off a thing too. Yeah, my... (laughs) My high in openness has certainly been, uh, although I will say that given, let's say that we're living in the safest world that we've ever lived in, which may or may not be the case, but a lot of people have made that, um, uh, that uh, argument. Um, you know, Steven, I agree with that. Stephen sure. Pinker, yeah. better angels of, um, of our nature and whatnot. Um, so, if that is the case, then wouldn't a shifting toward the openness be a little bit beneficial for people in general? If if you're if you're low in openness, aren't 
aren't you in in say a safe society missing out on the opportunities yeah missing out on opportunities and and probably experiencing more anxiety than is warranted for for the possible threats that are maybe not I probably would agree with that, though I might be biased because I probably also score quite high on open-mindedness. Right. Uh, though I also think that you need equilibrium in the society. And I think that even, even to, to such an extreme, I would say that even ideologies, ideas, and personalities that I find not very attractive myself, let's say if you have someone like extremely conservative, you know, like crazy conservative, you know, throwing things at gay people and just basically being completely unreasonably conservative. You may say, oh, my God, the society will be better without people like that. I'm not sure because, you know, in the first of all, if nothing else, this is a way of providing society with an immune system that you can easily distinguish between, hey, what's crazy right and what's crazy left. And kind of they give you kind of the boundary. You say, okay, we kind of like being liberal and left, but the people that are like really crazy liberal and crazy left, they kind of give you an idea that you should maybe not overdo it. Yeah, yeah. We might be a little scared of terrorism. We don't need to ban every Muslim. <laughs> like, you know. Okay, that's what crazy sounds like. right? So this is one benefit. And the other benefit is that we really don't know because the environment changes. Environment changes, times change. Right. And it might be that, you know, like I... It might be that sometimes when the society is, you know, a threat, when something bad happens, it might be that some of the traits that you found not very productive in kind of normal happy times, suddenly those people save the day. And let me give you a great example of that, something that was really shocking to me when I learned about it. Uh, Agreeableness. Agreeable people are the people who kind of agree with a lot with each other, obviously, but also kind of care about each other. People who give to charity are very agreeable, compassion, compassionate, uh, focusing basically on helping each other and helping the society. Disagreeable people are people who are assertive, competitive. They don't want to work in a team. They want to like excel and be better than the others and so on. Now, clearly, it sounds like agreeable people are basically nicer. Yeah, but but if you were to instead say I'm rather than say I'm low in agreeability, phrase it like I'm low in gullibility, then all of a sudden it sounds completely exactly different. and the, and because you can every every kind of good every upside of a given uh, psychological dimension has also right. its own downside. So let's say not willing to upset other people and being an extreme team player, so basically being super agreeable, also means that you basically will follow authority without questioning it. And yeah. uh, there's quite some research showing that, let's say, people who are, uh, you know, top Nazi officials, it's a bit of an anecdotal evidence. We didn't go there with questioners. But when you look at Nuremberg trials, you see that top Nazi officials, they were extremely agreeable. Mm. They followed the leader. They did everything that the leader told them to do. They never questioned the leader. And even if they thought, hey, maybe I doubt if I should be doing it, they didn't, you know, stand, stood up and say, hey, I'm, you know, Adolf, we're not doing it. This is batshit crazy. No, yeah. they were like, hey, let's not upset everyone else here. Let's kind of follow the crowd. Whereas people who, you know, whom we call terrorists today, right. who blow themselves up for reasons that maybe we don't fully understand, you know, they were terrorists during Second World War as well. And those were disagreeable people, people who, Germans who went to prison for not willing to, 
you know, kill the Jews or torment, hmm. torment other people. Those were disagreeable Germans, Germans who during normal times become CEOs uh, or, you know, uh, drug abusers because they disagree with what society gives them and tells them to do. So I'm so I'm low on the Nazi scale, but high on the terrorist scale, basically. <laughs> um, and there goes my my TSA pre-screening. Um, I <laughs> so um, it, here before we uh, before we start because um, uh, we should probably start wrapping up uh, here. I need to get to Berkeley um, for another podcast, but. Um, I, I, uh, you have an extra few minutes, or you, sure. Um, Who am I interviewing at Berkeley? Um, I don't ask me that. Um, <laughs> Alex, uh, Alex Hull, yeah, Alex Huth, Alex. Huth. Hmm. Um, I'm so bad with names; it's embarrassing. Um, so I, yeah, uh, so one, um, I was wondering this: what kind of personality? would you say is typical of someone who is a conspiracy theorist? Say they're liking all these like conspiracy documentaries or whatever. Super high openness. Super high openness? Anti-vaxxers. Super, anti-vax, anti-vax movement is, is basically conspiracy theory. Yeah. And they're all super high on open-mindedness. So this is one of the really? examples how, you know. Because I hate conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You are not open-minded way. enough. That's, I, that, huh. That's if you think about it, if you're super open-minded, you believe in the new ideas, and you right. think that status quo, think that everyone else believe in, it's probably not true because there's those new things that people, you know, they're not for normal people. Yeah, yeah like you know, chemtrails. You're and, in on yeah. on some special knowledge. Is there any other, like as far as like neuroticism or anything else that that are fact that factors in say uh, anti-vaxxer? That's the one factor that. I think that's the main, them. and we can actually check it in our database. But the main, the main mm. predictor of um, being a conspiracy theorist is being very high on openness. Hmm. Huh. That's strange because I've argued with plenty of conspiracy theorists who don't don't seem very open <laughs> when they're talking about their conspiracies. You know, they seem very convinced and. You know, try to get someone who's against vaccines to give vaccines to their children, and they won't. You can give them all the data in the world, and they're not open to it. Uh, anyway, I, we I was can just actually curious. just after we we finish that, we, I can check for you because maybe I'm wrong. You know, um, a... yeah. I mean, I, it was just something that's been on my mind. Um, uh, I was curious, how does it go about? So, so it's guessing my relationship status, and it's guessing. Um, that I'm 48% single. I happen to be in a relationship at the moment and um, I have had nothing but long-term relationships in my life. I've had really, uh, I mean, I was in like five-year, then a three-year, then a four-year. So I was basically never single, but I feel like I'm like kind of single at heart. I'm a bit of a lone wolf. I'm always traveling. I'm yeah, how much around. time do you spend with your girlfriend? Right. Maybe very, you like things on Facebook when you're actually single. So there are certain mm-hmm. things that you can very well predict from Facebook likes because Facebook likes accrue on your profile over the very long period of time. So let's say happiness. Happiness is something that changes. Obviously, you have some kind of a default level of happiness, but happiness varies. You know, you have better days and worse days. Mm-hmm. Facebook likes accrue over time. And we can't even say when you like the given thing. So for predictions like relationship status, uh, age, 
happiness. So things that change with time, you know, age, obviously, but happiness as well and relationship status as well. Predictions of these things are way better when they're based on, let's say, language you're using in your status updates or, you know, the songs you're listening to in some kind of recent, only a limited recent period of time. Because Facebook likes, they have a disadvantage of basically you can look at all of them simultaneously and you cannot tell which one are recent and which one uh, are old. Mm. Um, yeah, that that is. Uh, I I I think I do want to. I'm going to go and redo all of my likes, and I want to see what it spits out at me. So hopefully, I'll have a update um, for our listeners. But um, this is uh, this is incredible. Uh, quick, as we wrap up, what um, where where are you uh, going with all of this? Like coming up over the next say five years of your uh, career. So my current my current research focuses on how we can predict intimate and psychological traits from just your face. So take a picture of your face and it turns out that humans can predict some things. Well, gender and age, pretty easy for humans. See, I do have a geography superpower. Uh, <laughs> Based on, on faces. <laughs> uh, so some things humans can predict from faces, but other things, let's say intelligence, personality, sexual orientation... People believe that they can predict these things. People believe that they can distinguish between smart and not so smart person. I in believe fact, that. <laughs> in fact, doesn't work. So, so I'm dumb for thinking that. Uh, well, no, you're just like oh, all, <laughs> just like all other else. people like yeah, us, yeah. right? But it turns out that computers are pretty good at it. So I don't have anything published yet here in this domain, but I already have quite a few sets of results, and it seems mm. that face basically gives a lot of information about your intimate traits and psychological traits, which also brings us, takes us to a completely new level in terms of discussions about privacy. Right. Because we can say, hey, let's make, you know, credit card operations private or personal or delete them, or maybe we should go back to using cash. Maybe we should stop using Facebook. You can basically delete a lot, like remove ourselves from digital environment to some extent to limit our exposure to leaving data behind, limit our digital exposure. But then... How do you how do you hide your face? We would have to start, you know, wearing masks yeah. or scarves yeah, yeah. to hide our faces from the computers. Um well and then that also brings up the back the idea of, of fairness because this is uh, this is going kind of back to saying, you know, uh, genetic traits. Uh, so if if you're if you're born with a particular face, maybe people treat you in a certain way that molds your personality in a certain way and maybe your behavior has very little to do with kind of what you had much control over. Shane, uh, you just came up with uh, with an idea that took psychology quite a long time to uh, to figure out. In fact, so we know, for instance, that your psychological traits, personality specifically, and IQ even more, uh, but personality they are heritable. So for personality, half half of the variance in your personality is determined by your parents' personality. Now, it might suggest that there's there are basically genes, probably hundreds or thousands of them, that regulate your personality. And this is one of the hypotheses and most likely you'll be finding genes that correlate with certain personality traits. But it may also mean, and those two things can work in parallel, may also mean that maybe they're just genes that regulate 
how, you know, a physiology of your body or like your body shape or body size. And now you in the environment, your body size or body shape or your kind of other physiological traits, they combine with the environment lead to certain personality traits that appear in you. Let me give you an example. If you have genes that make you attractive, people would treat you differently. People, we treat attractive people very differently from not attractive people. It's very unfair, but this is what humans do. Uh, now, if you're an attractive baby, parents and other adults would pay way more attention to you, which may mean that you will become extroverted because you'll be rewarded for approaching people and talking to them and smiling with them. If you're an ugly baby... Get that baby away from me. Exactly. And then you maybe then you become more likely mm. to be an introvert because you just not you're not as rewarded for interacting with others as when you're a pretty baby. Huh. Yeah, that's uh that's incredible. Well, um maybe I can get you back on again um sometime in the future to, I'd love that. to get an update. This is wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. And thank you, listeners. Um, This is a killer episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I liked making it. Thanks for being curious, inquisitive people. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Told you that was a good one. Was I right? If you didn't like that episode, I'm uh, I'm surprised you listened to this podcast. Um, I... um, uh, Quick reminder, one more time. Louisiana floods it's awful do something about it help out in any little way that you can that's all that i'm saying um i am very very close to announcing the 50 city tour for uh for the fall um it's looking like it might even be more cities than that it looks like i'm gonna cover um just about everywhere in the country, maybe not Alaska and Hawaii, but who knows. Um, and I know I'm not doing a whole lot in Florida, but I'm stopping through, but I am hitting so many cities. So I will be going to a city near you. Please join my mailing list. Um, I've, I think I've sent out one email list ever. Um, and so my second email ever will be to promote this tour and then maybe I'll put a third one out next year when the special comes out. I, I don't like spamming people. You uh, don't need to worry about that happening. Or you can unsubscribe after my tour if all of a sudden I go crazy and, uh, and become um, a, uh, a spam machine. Um, you have my word that's not going to happen. Um, so um, more details on that soon. Coming up, I'm in Wilmington the first week in September. Why is Wilmington so special? Well, because I'm doing the second ever Here We Are um, live podcast, and um, I'll, I'll be making it the 100th episode, so it'll be a big one. I have two awesome guests for it, and... I think I'm going to try doing two guests rather than three this time, so everyone gets uh, a few words. Just I, I didn't. Um, I loved the first live episode, but there was times when I felt like um, not everyone was getting an opportunity uh, to be involved in the conversation, um, and I, I don't know. I, I all the feedback that I got from it was terrific. Um, but if you guys ever have any notes uh, like that, I always love hearing um, an objective point of view and um 
so so anyway, I'm doing that show, and then I'm I'm doing um, on the Friday. I'm doing my regular show at the early show, and then at the late show, I'm doing my psychedelic show, the Good Trip show. Um, so you could see a whole lot of me if you get to the Wilmington area, or maybe know anyone in the Wilmington area. Um, it would be awesome if you spread the word. It's a, it's not that big of a a venue, um, and so it would be really nice if we could get a a nice turnout, especially for the live uh, podcast. Is the thing I'm most worried about. I haven't quite figured out how to market it yet, um, and especially in a in kind of a smaller city like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's a big one coming up. Um, that's going to be a really fun week. If you happen to live anywhere in the area and you're a fan of mine, um, you know, if you're a few hours away, maybe make a night of of it, get a hotel or something. Uh, this is, this is literally, I, I mean, it's all, it's my regular show, my psychedelic show and my live podcast. So uh, if you're a fan of mine, that's as much of me as you'll ever be able to see. Um, and uh, and then the following week, I'm in Myrtle Beach. I'm doing both my shows there. Um, and and in the future, I'll maybe figure out how to how to do more of these live po- podcasts. I'm I'm trying to get them into colleges or something like that. We're still trying trying to figure out how that's going to work and and sort all that out. Um, but you guys are terrific next week. I, so I do have a couple, I have a couple episodes recorded really, excuse me, really good ones too. But, um, I'm recording a couple this week with uh guest in a similar department. And so I'm just waiting to see, sometimes I like spacing out the episodes a little bit. So we aren't covering like the exact same sort of thing two weeks in a row. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to wait and see how these go this week. So, so um, next week again will be a surprise, but we will have an episode next week and um, I'm sure it will be good. Oh, um, so I'm actually, it, it might be one of the two people I'm interviewing this week. I'm, I'm talking with a couple of philosophers this week. Um, I'm, I'm thinking as we're nearing the hundredth episode, um, I'm starting, you know, to look over everything and, and think about uh, what other topics I want to cover and what I want to get into more. So I might as well update you guys with what I've been thinking about. I'm think I was going to do physics um, more in the next year. I I think I'm gonna I'm think I'm gonna push that back to this is the second year. I think we'll push that back to the fourth year, um, just because. There's so much other stuff that I want to get into first. I think I think in the third year I'm gonna get into um, um, technology a bit more um, and possibly some uh, uh, some futurist stuff and maybe a little bit of physics. Like I, I might try to talk with some people at NASA. I've I've made some uh, some connections. How ballin' would that be? Ballin'. Um, that <laughs> sounds really weird to say, um, that I'm going to be talking with NASA. Um, that's not necessarily true, but that's what I'm working towards. Um, I am, this is how I talk in real life, guys. I am exceptionally scatterbrained all of the time. Uh, I hope you, um, rather than find it, 
incredibly irritating, uh, find it a bit amusing um, instead. Um, but anyway, uh, next week, maybe philosophy? Who knows? What is philosophy? What does it mean? What is and what is not philosophy? Maybe we'll explore that next week. Um, you guys are the best. Either you, uh, all the one. This is a seven-minute outro. That's a little indulgent, and that's why you know you guys that listen all the way to the end. You know who you are. You're my favorite. All right. Talk to you next week. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. People. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> 